0: Welcome! You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Well, welcome, good afternoon, and for the... I think, for the last time... Um, I'm not going to be confused about what time of day it is. Isn't that right, Melvin? Because from now on, we're going to be in the morning, right? Right? What's that? Okay, yes, and no, everyone's going to be wearing ties from now on, nothing but hats for the ladies and ties for the men and pointy shoes for everybody. Good? All right. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer just one more time. And um, so let's bow again before the Lord God. Uh, I need your grace right now. Um, I need I need you to calm my heart, to calm my mind, to make this anxiousness that is in me, about bringing your word a, a healthy anxiousness. And Lord, I ask today that as I as I preach that not only will you continually be humbling me, but that I will preach your word clearly and that from it we will take away not just facts and big ideas, but things in our lives that you are requiring of us to change, and areas of our lives that you are calling us to obedience. God, we will thank you for that work that you do in our lives. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray all of this. Amen. So tonight, we are back in 1 Peter. And here's our our big idea for all of 1 Peter. Peter's purpose for writing this letter. And that is this, that readers, both the original readers and us should be growing in faith and faithfulness all of the time, but especially when they or we are suffering. Readers should be growing in faith and faithfulness all the time, but especially while we are suffering. And then tonight, here's where we want to go, okay? So let's set our trajectory, let's set our vision for where we're moving to, okay? Tonight, you can live as a good outsider or as a bad one. Live as the righteous outsider that you were handpicked to be. You can live as a good outsider or as a bad one. and Scripture, is, God is asking us, requiring of us, that we live as the righteous outsiders that we have been handpicked to be. And let's read our text one more time for this evening. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. But living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the emperor. So here's what we're going to do tonight. And I might not be successful in doing it, so you're going to have to work for it too. All right, we're going to be going to three different periods of time tonight. We're going to be living in three different periods of time. And the first of which. And, okay, here's the good news. You, you get to be you in all these time periods, okay? You're time-traveling you, all right? Um, the first one of those is just here and now, okay? So you're not actually time-traveling for the first one. Um, but you are Vusani, and you are Melvin and Mervin, and you are everyone, okay? Um, and you have to be asking yourself the question tonight of how do I live as an outsider, Okay? And then what we're going to do is we're going to go back in time, somewhere between the years 62 and 65 AD, when Peter wrote this letter to these Christians in what is modern day Turkey, and he's giving them some commands tonight, and he's encouraging them to act in a certain way. And I want you to try to put yourselves into their shoes and be asking yourself, how would I have lived as an outsider? And then this week is Reformation Sunday, and this Tuesday we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So we're going to transport forward in time from the first century, and we're, we're going to be around the year 1517, uh, a little bit further on as well. And we're going to be looking at what it meant to be an outsider uh, living um, in a place where your faith was unwelcomed, okay? So let's start by just looking at the very first verse that we have before us tonight, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Let's stop there and just say, if we were to stop there, it would be worrying, okay? Uh, because that would mean that I should be subject to the bird watching club of Hermanus, right? Right? <laughs> What kind of human institutions are we talking about? Um, Let's see what Peter has to say. It's kind of ambiguous, but then he's going to talk specifically about a human institution or something that is made by humans. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who, to, who do good. All right, so here is the human institution that we are supposed to be subject to, that we're supposed to be placing ourselves under the authority of. Okay, now, um, maybe I'm drawing too big of a connection here, but uh, my South African friends, my Zimbabwean friends... Uh, and my one American friend that's in the room right now, we all have something in common right now. You might not know it, and I am being a little bit facetious, but we all have world leaders in charge of our countries that we don't trust, okay? (laughs) We all have leaders in charge of our countries that we don't trust, okay? And that might sound insulting and say, "Wait, you just broke The very first thing that we're being told to do, to place ourselves under the authority of. Okay, let's talk about who Peter is writing to here. Uh, There's the potential that it was two different emperors during the time that this letter was written. Either one was not a good guy, okay? Uh, In fact, one of them that this letter was probably written during the time of, pretty soon would start killing Christians and Jews for their religious beliefs. Needless to say, if you did not act like a Roman or you did not follow the way of your Greek and Roman ancestors, you were not welcome. Okay? You, your religious beliefs were not wanted. Why? Because they weren't building up the empire. In fact, and we're going to go into this next week, many Christian beliefs could be seen as tearing down the empire very subtly in very small steps, like you're chipping away at a statue, okay, but tearing it apart nonetheless. And yet, Peter here tells us to be subject to these human institutions. What is he talking about? Do we do everything that they tell us to do? Okay, well, that's a question that we can answer from looking at Scripture, right? Um. What's a good example, and you can, you can talk back to me on this now, what's a good example of people that were faithful, um, they respected the human institution, and yet they remained faithful to God? There's four of them. You can either name one of them or three of them, and those are your only options. Okay? You can go back in time even further. I know we said we were only going to be in three time periods, but who am I talking about? All right, fine. Yeah? Daniel? Good. Is that who you said? Okay, good. Yes. Yes. Uh, what is it? It's... Uh, well, I, you know, I used to have a, a children's... He was a children's church leader, and he used to call them my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Okay? My shack, your shack, and a bungalow. And so here we go. Here we have an example of people that were brought up in a human institution, Um, They respectfully went against the institution and were allowed to do that. Um, And yet they were trained up in the institution. Not only were they uh, staying true to God's word, but they were also learning the wisdom of that institution. And then it just so happened that one day, uh, their obedience to both conflicted, right? And my shack, your shack in a bungalow, or however you would prefer to say them, what happened to them they refused to bow and they got put into a fire right timeout um if they would have just you know put themselves under the human institution then they wouldn't have been put into a fire problem solved right if daniel would have just listened and not been praying to yahweh No problem. He would not have been put into a pit full of lions, right? Except for what happened in those situations. God rescued them, right? In fact, we even get the picture of Jesus present in the fire with shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Shadrach, Meshach. Okay, you get it, okay? Um, And Daniel's rescued, right? The mouths of the lions are closed. And so... Here we go. We got Peter talking to us as outsiders. And we see other commands in Scripture, right? We give to Caesar what is due to Caesar. And so I just met someone the other day and they said that they're in trouble with the government because they didn't pay their taxes. And I said, why didn't you pay your taxes? Because I think that we have a disobedient government. Okay, that's not a good excuse to not pay your taxes, right? You get punished for that. All right? Now... If uh, he was being punished for the reasons that uh, Daniel and his three friends were being punished, it would make sense that he was being punished, right? So what is it that Peter's actually telling us to do here? Well, unfortunately, Peter doesn't give us a lot of detail. He doesn't give us guidelines for how we place ourselves under the government, and he doesn't give us guidelines for when it's appropriate to speak out against an unjust government. So, what is our default then? We rebel at every chance. No. Let's see what he says in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So, here's a guideline for us do good. Do good. And then he also tells us in verse 16, has a little bit of a guideline, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. All right, so we have two statements that are helping us balance out this placing ourselves under the authority of the human institution. In this case, an evil emperor, who in the next 30 years would be killing all the Jews and Christians. Let's let's move forward in time a little bit, okay? Let's move forward in time. And I want to put someone else before you. Uh, And this person's name is Helen Sturkey, all right? It's a good name, Sturkey, all right? And she lived in Scotland. She lived in Scotland in the year 1543, And here's what was happening. Uh, Scotland during this time was largely Catholic, although there were some some Protestants coming into being. And here's what happened. She was going into labor. Uh, She had multiple children. This was the last child that she was going to have. And she's in labor pains, having the baby, and all of the sisters gathered around her started encouraging her because they were nuns, started encouraging her to pray to the Virgin Mary. Now, here's the deal. Helen Sturkey was one of these Protestant people in Scotland. Now, you also have to understand that the government of everywhere in Europe, for the most part at this time, was Catholic. That sounds a little bit strange, right? Um, But... That's exactly what the situation was, okay? And so Helen Sturkey, she's lying there, having the baby, and she refuses. And she tells the sisters that it would be faithlessness on her part. It would literally be going against Jesus if she were to pray to the Virgin Mary. In fact, she went so far as to say that had she been living in the time in which Jesus was born, she could have been the Virgin Mary. (laughs) Okay, and she had the baby and everything was fine, uh, except for in the final time of giving birth, she was shouting out to God the Father and to Jesus and not to the Virgin Mary. Well, one thing led to another and the sisters at the hospital uh, decided to tell someone who told someone else who told the archbishop of their area that this was a problem. And the archbishop acted quickly. And what he decided to do was to put to death Helen and her husband and all of their closest friends who could be, uh, you know, trying to up, uh, throw over this human institution. And they did just that. All the men, they hung And all the women involved, they put in bags, and they filled the bags with rocks, and then they tied the bags, and they threw them into a lake. You know, if Helen had just placed herself under the authority of the human institution, everything would have been fine. But here's what I want to say. You know what Helen did up until the time that she had that baby? She placed herself under the authority of the human institution. Was she going against the institution? Yes, she was. In what ways? In her faith. So, as we look at placing ourselves under human institutions, here's what we want to say. We know from all of this letter leading up to this point that the people that Peter is writing to are suffering. Sometimes it's big suffering and sometimes it's little suffering, which might sound silly, but it could be as simple as Their business is not doing well because they no longer worship Greek or Roman gods. They instead worship Jesus. Um, It could be that they're left out of social circles. It could be that they're not getting basic services provided by the government because they are seen as being against the government. It could be that some of them are dying. Because of their faith. If we were to go back to one of Tom's verses from last week. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Right? This is what Peter says. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right? He's saying, look, win people over with your good deeds. And then again in verse 15, like we already saw, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And you know what this reminds me of? We're going to get to it in verse 17, but I'm going I'm to go to Matthew 22 real quick. Matthew 22, starting verse 34, I believe. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is, which is the great commandment and the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, and we see that again in Luke 10, that same story. Okay, so what are we seeing in this passage? I think what we're seeing in this passage, as we get to verse 17, um, we're going to have four commandments. Okay, four commandments in verse 17. Honor everyone. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. This word honor, uh, it's a little bit hard to pin down. Uh, If we go down to verse 18, we're going to see the word respect used. In verse 17 here, there's two times that we see this word honor, and I think that in both places, we could say honor and or respect, because the language is a little bit hard to pin down, okay? So honor everyone. Uh, respect everyone. So no matter matter where you're at, you respect people. And then we're going to see at the end of the verse that we honor the emperor or we respect the emperor. You know what this does? This puts someone who claims to be God at the level of every other person in the world. We're supposed to respect both the person that's most powerful in this world, and the least person in this world. We love the brotherhood, though, right? We don't just respect other Christians. We show love to one another. And then lastly, we should be fearing the emperor if we were being good citizens that are placing ourselves under authority of these human institutions, but we're not, (laughs) Um, We're fearing God. So we respect the emperor and we fear God. Okay, let's try to tie some of this together now. All right, let's try to tie some of this together. Um, And I'm just gonna throw some very practical things out there and then maybe we'll get to some more serious ones too. All right, so uh, Christian, Hand-picked outsider out here today. How can you best live as an outsider? Not paying your taxes. Ooh, no. Skipping out on traffic fines and fighting every single one that comes in your mailbox. I don't know. Um, now Tara gets all the traffic fines in our family, uh, mostly because the picture's so blurry that I let her believe that it's her. Um, no, I don't, I don't actually do that, (laughs) but we pay those, right? Why? Because, one, it's basically a tax, let's just be honest, and secondly, I was breaking the law, okay? And the government says I don't have to go to prison for breaking the law, I just have to pay them some money, and it hurts, but I do it anyway. Why? Because I'm placing myself under the authority of the human institution, Also, they could revoke my visa and I'd have to move back to the United States at any given second, okay? So, I respect the human institution. I don't upset the human institution. I don't poke the bull, okay, right? Now, what if there's something that is wrong and it's, it's happening and we cannot stand for it? Do we protest? I don't know. I don't know. Can we protest without breaking the law? Yes, I think we I think we can, right? Governments allow us to do this. And oftentimes, if you go to Cape Town, you don't always see protesting done well. Last year, here in Hermanus, there was a protest in that parking lot across from the police station, and you know what? It was done really well. It was respectful. They cleared the parking lot so that people could have their voices heard. There were no laws broken. Now, let's say that, like everybody wants to do, we go into that situation and we start throwing bricks at the windshields of cars, right? <laughs> in fact, I remember one time I was in Parl, and it was just, a, it was for teachers, uh, the teachers were protesting their pay, and I had a uh, big, old, beat-up uh, Volkswagen microbus that could not be trusted. The doors did not lock. The accelerator always detached from the floor, and I was always having to like drive like this with my hand like this, and then I get stuck in traffic, and the first thing that happens is that people are trying to flip the microbus and steal all the trash bins that I have and ba- the trailer on the back. Um, I did not feel comfortable in this situation, right? Now, what should be a very simple protest where teachers are heard, what happens? Um, Free people are using their freedom to cover up evil, right? When do we do this? I don't even have a good example of when this happens. Uh, I would like to have a good example of when this happens. Maybe it is something so small as, well, I do have the ability to go and fight this traffic fine, and you know what? I think that camera might be blurry, and that's not my license number, right? Maybe we're using our freedom to cover up evil. Um, We do that in our Christian walks too, right? Right? We act in ways that God asks us not to act. And then we ask for forgiveness half-heartedly, and we move on. And we abuse the freedom that has been given to us in Christ and his sacrifice. We're covering up for the evil that lives inside of us, as it were. But there in verse 16, we're commanded to be living as servants of God, and we could translate that slaves, slaves. Of God. We're commanded to be slaves of God. Uh, one commentator said it this way that when we become Christians and we are under human institutions prior to becoming a Christian, um, we're still under those human institutions, but our Christian freedom does not rest in escape from service to those institutions. That is, that our freedom is not dependent upon who is in authority over us. But we do have a change in master. So at the end of the day, what does that change of master mean? We are honoring the emperor, we're respecting the emperor, but you know what? We're fearing God because he has our life in his hands. And he is the one that has sacrificed his son on our behalf to cover over all of our unrighteousness to put us in a robe of righteousness so that when he looks at us, he only sees the holiness of his son Jesus. Calvin, John Calvin, a theologian during the Reformation, said it this way, a free servitude and a serving freedom. That's what it is to be a Christian. Um, We're going to see in verse 18 next week that this word servants or slaves, and these are people that are working And sometimes the jobs are good and sometimes the jobs are bad, but here's the deal, they don't have a choice. What Calvin's saying is that in our lives now as servants to God, we freely choose servitude because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And we find freedom in that serving. So I divided up here, when we look at verse 17, four things, four areas of our lives that we have been called uh, that Jesus is changing in our lives because we are handpicked outsiders. Um, In the first one, we see honor everyone. Really, what Peter's talking about here is our life in this world, our social life, if you want to say it like that. Okay, Our life in this world. As we go into next week and as we go into two weeks from now, we're not going to be talking about our life in this world. We're going to be talking about our lives in our households. How God expects our lives in our households to be changing. Well, the first one is our life in this world, our social life. And the second one, love the brotherhood. Our life in church. Uh, Because of everything that Peter is telling us here, because we are servants of God, our church life has changed. Um, We are to love one another. Our spiritual life has changed. Uh, Unlike the Greeks and unlike the Romans, we don't just pray to our gods and then we put them to the side and hope that they bless us or eh, if they haven't blessed us, we'll try harder next time. No, we fear God. Why? Because he's a vengeful God? No, because he's a just God and he's a righteous God who has done justice for us. What what does that justice look like? He punished our sins in Jesus' person, right? He set us straight. He set us right. He justified us with his justice. And then lastly, in our political lives, we respect the emperor, right? We respect that person that is placed above us even if we don't trust that person, okay? Even if we don't trust that person. Also, I think what we're seeing here uh, in that great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, We are seeing both in fearing God and then what we're about to read here in just a second, uh, we're seeing Jesus as supreme authority. It's kind of interesting that uh, Peter calls the emperor supreme. And then he just tells us to respect him. Why is that? Let's read here for just a second. If you'll skip down to verse 21 with me, and we're going to be studying this together next week. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but, now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, so everything that we've been learning about tonight, we're going to tie it up with a nice big bow next week. Because we actually have an example as to how this worked. And that example is a perfect example in Jesus Christ. Now, I, would, uh, I know that we're running out of time here, but I would be remiss, I would be saddened if I didn't say something else about the Protestant Reformation tonight, okay? Uh, there was someone else who went against the government. Kind of. And that person was a man named Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther was a monk, and he studied God's word thoroughly, and it just so happened that as he was studying God's word, he looked back at a period in time, or he was looking back at his time period, rather, and he was saying to himself, something's not right. Because at this time, the church, uh, the Catholic church, that is, was asking Uh, would have been asking you and me as Christians uh, to do something that we should be a little frightened by. Uh, Anytime in the New Testament that we see the word repent, uh, it was instead, it used to be translated, do penance. That is that you have to do something in order to repent of your sin. Now, don't worry, Christian, Okay, because uh, you don't always have to do something. Sometimes all you have to do is pay some money. It's basically like paying off the loan to your car or to your house, okay? Um, if you're lost in your sin, don't worry. The church is here for you. You pay us money, and we're going we're to give you a little slip of paper that's a get-out-of-jail-free card, and God's going to accept that piece of paper, um, and you're going to be forgiven, and everything's going to be okay. Uh, you're not going to be punished as harshly as you would have been. You don't need to be living in fear anymore unless you keep sinning. Then you need to be living in fear. Martin Luther stepped onto the scene and after reading and studying the word, he suddenly realized that the scripture wasn't saying that we have to pay money. We don't have to do penance. We have to repent. And so uh, October 31st, 1517, he took a hammer, and he took a nail, and he posted something to the chapel doors, basically like a big bulletin board. He wasn't being rebellious, as it were. He wanted to start a conversation. And this conversation was with all of his co-workers about what it meant to repent. And he started off by saying all of the Christian life is one of repentance. But what ended up happening? Uh, What ended up happening? Martin Luther kept following that path, and it just so happened that eventually that path would lead him to being in disagreement with the government. Uh, So much so that he would have to run, he would have to hide, he would put on a beard, and he would change his name to a fake name, and he would keep studying the scriptures, and he would keep translating the scriptures. Um, And all of this to get to a point, okay? I know that I'm telling the whole story of the Reformation. Forgive me. I just get a little bit excited. Here's the point for tonight. Uh, There were many things during the Reformation that were recovered, and we've talked about them, right? We've talked about congregational singing, and we've talked about the preaching of the Word, and we've talked about holding the Word in our hands. That we can understand. Uh, Here's another thing that came out of the Reformation. It's a theology, okay, so bear with me, but it's called the priesthood of all believers. And Martin Luther was big into this. Now, you'll have to forgive my heritage, okay, as a Baptist... We have not always done this well. Uh, Even though this is true, that being a priest means that we are to care for our own souls, uh, that's not the only thing it means, as we have sometimes argued in our history. Um, In fact, uh, one Luther scholar says it like this, For Luther, the priesthood of all believers did not mean, I am my own priest. It meant rather, in the community of saints, the church... Uh, God has so tempered the body that we are all priests to each other. We stand before God and we intercede for one another. We go to the Lord with prayer for one another. We stand before God and intercede for one another. We proclaim God's word to one another and we celebrate his presence among us in worship, praise, and fellowship. Moreover, our priestly ministry does not terminate upon ourselves. That is, we don't just get to pray for ourselves and ask for repentance and then move on with our day. It propels us into the world in service and in witness to others. Or John Calvin says it like this, every Christian is mandated to be a representative, an ambassador, a missionary of Christ. In his redemptive outreach to the world, all believers should seek to bring others into the church and should strive to lead the wanderers back to the road, should, should stretch forth a hand to the fallen, It should win over outsiders. For Calvin and for Luther, the priesthood of all believers was not only a spiritual privilege, but a moral obligation and a part of each and every Christian's job, as it were all right, Christian, so here's the deal. In case you haven't taken it away thus far, as outsiders, we are supposed to live lives in such a way as to win people over. And you know what else we should be doing? We should, as priests, be interceding, uh, not just for our brothers and our sisters in Christ, but for those outside of the faith. We should be praying to the Lord for the salvation of souls, and we should be reaching out and attempting to grab those souls with the truth of Scripture. So what's our big idea this week? You can live as a good outsider, or you can live as a bad one. Live as the righteous outsider that you were handpicked to be. You can be obedient to God, or you can be obedient to the world. You can use your freedom in Christ and abuse it, or you can use it well and win people over for the name of Jesus by the gospel, by the way in which you live your lives. Um, we're not done yet with celebrating the Reformation. This is just the, fi- the beginning of the 500th year. So next, we get to celebrate all year long, okay? We get to celebrate all year long, and I hope that we can make that a celebration, Um, Why don't you stand with me, and we're going to sing together. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.